Hello, welcome to The Quest. My name is Alan Mulhern. Firstly, an announcement. You may be aware that the podcasts from episode 65 onwards are following my book, The Sower and the Seed, quite closely. It has been pointed out to me that some of the material is quite difficult to understand. I appreciate that, since it is very compact. However, a suggestion just given to me by a reader was that I give a course by Zoom explaining more simply the basic elements of the book. That sounds very interesting and potentially useful. Now, part six, the last of the book, tells a story, chiefly through illustrations and poems, of a pilgrim who passes through life's trials, including loss, depression and despair, in search of vision, that is, a quest to seek the meaning of existence and our place in the great scheme of things. On this journey, our pilgrim also seeks knowledge of the soul, the fate of the human race, and so on. It's a search for meaning in our contemporary age, an age of spiritual crisis. Those of you who are acquainted with John Bunyan's great work of the late 17th century, entitled The Pilgrim's Progress, will notice the similarities and also the inspiration for this part of The Sower and the Seed. So, I am proposing a three-month course starting this June, given weekly by Zoom sessions, which will go over the 12 sections of Part 6, one every week, which represent the individual journey of the quest. That is, it's from the point of view of the pilgrim, the individual. On this proposed course, questions can be asked directly to me, Discussion and sharing of experiences can take place. This will not have a heavy philosophy or intellectual orientation, but will be through the poetry and illustrations of the book as well as discussion. If you're interested, you may contact me directly at the email thepilgrimquest at gmail.com or find details on my website www.alanmulhern.com. Now, returning to the theme of our podcast episodes, I've been developing an argument that will, I intend, lead to spiritual coherence for the times we live in. For this admittedly ambitious project, I require your patience as we proceed step by step from a creation myth to the tremendous dilemmas of the age we live in. Our argument so far... Episode 64 explored the origins of consciousness from a mytho-psychological angle. Episode 65 presented the concept of immanence as the underlying philosophy, that a vast intelligence is within the evolutionary process, a cosmic principle and therefore manifesting in everything. Episode 66 gave a summary account of the first four parts of human nature, instincts, emotional structure, ego consciousness and the unconscious. Episode 67 presented higher consciousness. Episode 68 presented the early stage of the human psyche, immersed in nature and the beneficent great mother. Today's episode, 69, presents the opposite, the dark and terrible great mother. Let us proceed. Nature and great mother worship have, as we've argued in the last episode, a life-affirming, creative, positive quality. But there is also a darker side, that which opposes the emergence of individuality and consciousness, hence the importance of human sacrifice in the early nature religions. In Carl Jung's book, Answer to Job, 
he comments on how there is a drive out of the unconscious to produce consciousness. Yet, the unconscious, at the same time, opposes it. There is a conflict of opposites here. On the one hand, a natural emergence of consciousness, and on the other, a tremendous resistance and even opposition to it. Young sees this being played out in the great drama between Yahweh and Job, who are symbols of two complementary opposites. On the one hand, the miraculous unconscious forces of the cosmos, represented by Yahweh, and on the other, Job, representing the consciousness of humanity. He comments in chapter 2 of his book, Answer to Job, quote, Loudly as Yahweh's power resounds through the universe, the basis of its existence is correspondingly slender, for it needs conscious reflection in order to exist in reality. Existence is only real when it is conscious to somebody. That is why the Creator needs conscious man, even though, from sheer unconsciousness, he would like to prevent him from becoming conscious. Unquote. Perhaps only Young could articulate such an extraordinary yet fascinating idea. The realm of the Great Mother demands immersion in the collective, in nature and her mysteries, in reproduction, family and tribe. It is quite distinct from the principle of differentiation of personality and the importance of individuality, which is later to develop in patriarchal religions. Nature, besides being benevolent, is also death-threatening and appears malevolent. Survival demands aggression. Destructiveness and selfishness are vital parts of our animal and therefore human psyche. Our savagery is infamous. Thus we have the opposites of nature, the good and the terrible within ourselves. These opposites, in our experience of nature, the two faces of the Great Mother, the good and the terrible, are paralleled very closely by the psychoanalytic school of Melanie Klein, which postulates that all human infants begin life in a paranoid schizoid state, in which the good and the bad breast alternate as fundamental structuring experiences of the infant psyche. This duality is resolved in the depressive position, which would find its equivalent in the history of the species as the birth of civilization. Freud also postulated that life and civilization emerged and developed out of two polar forces, love and hate. See chapter 6 of Civilization and its Discontents. The earth is also where all dies. It destroys practically all it creates. It is in constant change and life is limited, precarious and sometimes terrifying. The earth passes from the good to the terrible mother and can be malevolent, dangerous and wrathful. All creatures must feed on other life forms. Pain alternates with pleasure. Death and life are interdependent. The evolution of the Earth over 4.6 billion years has been a process of creative destruction. Of this immense period of time, the major part, 3.6 billion years, has been without multicellular life forms, 
since early conditions on the planet were hostile to life and subsequently it took billions of years for complex cell structures to build up. Once life was established, numerous mass extinctions, however, occurred. Over the last half billion years there have been, as far as we can gather, five major extinctions in which over half of living creatures rapidly disappeared. More than 90% of organisms that have ever lived on the Earth are now gone. There have been numerous less severe extinctions, but here are the major ones in the last half a billion years, that is, since animal life developed on the planet. The Ordovician extinction, about 445 million years ago, in which the species loss was about 60-70% to of the Earth's total. Likely cause was a short but intense ice age. Most life at this time was in the oceans. And with planet-wide glaciers that froze much of the world's waters, sea and temperature levels fell sharply. Next, the Devonian extinction, around 360 million years ago, in which around 75% of the global species were lost. Its probable cause was oxygen depletion in the oceans. Fluctuations in sea level, climate change and asteroid strikes are all suspects. Thirdly, the Permian extinction around 250 million years ago. Species loss around 95%. Possible causes, asteroid impact, volcanic activity. This mother of all extinctions has been called the Great Dying and devastated oceans and land life alike, including insects. Asteroid impacts, methane releases and sea level fluctuations have all been blamed. Fourthly, the Triassic extinction around 200 million years ago. Species loss, 70-80%. to Cause possible massive lava eruptions, releasing huge amounts of carbon dioxide, causing runaway global warming. Fifthly, the Cretaceous extinction around 66 million years ago. Likely cause asteroid strike with a huge crater in the Mexican Yucatan Peninsula supporting this hypothesis. Species loss, 75%, though many mammals, birds and sea life survived. The most infamous of the casualties were the dinosaurs, whose disappearance allowed the further development of mammals, leading to the eventual emergence of Homo sapiens who has sparked the sixth mass extinction. So, finally, the Holocene extinction, as it is called, with extinction rates occurring at over 1,000 times the background extinction rate, that is the extinction rate in normal times. This extinction rate has been occurring since 1900 and is accelerating, and as we are aware, is a result of human activity, driven by population growth over consumption of the Earth's natural resources and so on. This is the first extinction event caused by another life form. Out of an estimated 8 million species left on the planet, 1 million plant and animal species are currently under immediate threat of extinction. Please refer to the annual Global Assessment Reports on Biodiversity of the Intergovernmental Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services, the IPBES, set up by the United Nations. With respect to Homo sapiens, life was precarious, 
not only for individuals, but for the human species. The emergence of self-reflective consciousness is strongly disposed to arise, seeded, as it were, into evolution. But there are many forces pitched against it. Indeed, the chief carrier of this consciousness, Homo sapiens, had only a slender foothold on the planet for the first 150,000 years of a precarious existence. A foothold that is precarious to this day, though for very different reasons. The psyche of hominids, our family group, as we evolved from ape to human, developed over millions of years and reflected the conditions of nature. As well as goodness, mankind, a rather helpless animal without effective weapons, experienced fear and terror. We were subject to disease, early death, accident, infections, prey to reptiles, rodents, wild animals, at the mercy of volcanoes, earthquakes, floods, climate and ecological changes. It is difficult for contemporary humans to imagine just how prolific were the life forms on the planet in our early history and how many were hostile to our existence. Nature is volatile and the life it supports is precarious. Just as over 90% of the Earth's documented species are extinct, mankind as a species, from the beginning, lived on the edge of survival. Despite the enormous advantages of higher intelligence, Homo sapiens was almost wiped out probably just before leaving Africa around 70,000 years ago and colonising the world. It is estimated that there is more genetic diversity in a troop of chimps than there is in the 8 billion of the human race. This implies a genetic bottleneck, a great reduction in human numbers at around 70,000 years ago, when the race was reduced to a few thousand individuals. Genetic evidence suggests that contemporary humans descend from a small population of 1,000 to 10,000 breeding pairs existing around 70,000 years ago. That's from Stanley Ambrose's article called Late Pleistocene Human Population Bottlenecks, Volcanic Winter and Differentiation of Modern Humans, in the Journal of Human Evolution, 1998. The most probable explanation for this was the dramatic climate change at that time. With the dense volcanic ash after the eruption of Mount Tobo that altered the climate of Africa and probably propelled the migrations of Homo sapiens out of that continent. Mount Tobo in Indonesia erupted around 70,000 years ago and was a hundred times more violent than any volcano in recent history. It was Quote, the most recent super eruption and plunged Earth into six years of volcanic winter, possibly causing a bottleneck in human evolution and significant changes to regional topography. That's from Savino and Jones, 2007 book, Supervolcano, the catastrophic event that changed the course of human history. Could Yellowstone be next? The human species, the bearer of higher consciousness, almost became extinct. Higher levels of order in evolution have to contend with enormous destructive forces in nature. Symbolically, the prolific good mother battles with the terrible and destructive one. The immense forces of evolution and nature contend with disease, death, 
the ecological conditions of the earth, and even meteorites. Higher consciousness is not inevitable on any particular planet. It even requires luck. These destructive powers of nature are augmented by the dark forces inside humans' own psyche. Fears and terrors, irrational outbursts, psychic epidemics, bouts of lust, murderous impulses, invasions from the unconscious, inherent instability and disintegrations of a fragile ego under great pressure from attack, stress, anxiety and terror. Participation mystique, the emotion in the unconscious and nature, is not simply beneficent, since nature and the unconscious are inherently ambivalent. The psyche of mankind can be savage, terrifying, destructive, malicious and murderous. Anti-life forces can overwhelm it. Just as the psychoanalyst Melanie Klein characterised the early psyche of the infant as a paranoid schizoid condition, so too the early psyche of mankind was assailed by extremes before the ego emerged to abate and modify the opposites. Human selfishness rapidly turns to greed. We feel depleted or threatened and attempt to overcome our feelings of alienation by filling ourselves with material goods. More than any other animal, the human brain, with its greatly expanded consciousness and sensitivity, is open to formation in early infancy, which implies it is more susceptible to emotional damage. In the birth process, there are experiences deeply formative for the psyche. Stanislav Grof, in his 1985 book Beyond the Brain, Birth, Death and Transcendence in Psychotherapy, outlines the stages of perinatal experience and their enormous impact on the emerging human being, not only in infancy, but also later in life. Human beings also have complex defence mechanisms which attempt to defend the self or the embryonic ego from anxiety and disturbance. The inner world of the disturbed infant is therefore of a radical, severe nature and liable to trauma. Donald Kalched, in his 1996 book The Inner World of Trauma, gives a powerful account of the impact of trauma on the infant psyche. Indeed, when whole cultures are subject to profound anxiety and trauma, there are grounds for mass psychosis. Hitler and Germany are, of course, outstanding examples of this, but there are many other examples in history. Life itself and the human species have evolved in spite of, and sometimes because of all these forces against it. But now it is different. The darkest force on the planet is mankind itself, who threatens the life of all species, even its own. The roots of this lie in a selfishness and destructiveness allied with a Promethean technology capable of serving narrow economic and military ends. The human psyche, spectacular though it may be, is deeply flawed as it faces its biggest challenge preservation of the species and also of its planetary home. The opposites of order versus chaos and creation versus destruction were central to ancient mythologies such as the Egyptian. 
These opposites were frequently described at the root of the gods' struggles, mankind's existence, and consciousness itself, with civilization being the temporary resolution of this conflict. Within the psyche of early humans, the two great principles of creation versus destruction express themselves in the derived polarity of order versus chaos. This is expressed in the religions and myths of early civilizations, a period in which we see the worship of the Great Mother before it was replaced by the patriarchy. These opposites can be traced as structuring principles of the cosmos, evolution, life, species existence and civilization. They can be found at all later levels in the human psyche and underlie mankind's own creative and destructive nature, sometimes termed good and evil. Creation myths locate the origins of human nature in the transpersonal realm rather than in mankind's own psyche. This is because up to the recent past, for example the Enlightenment of the 17th century onwards, mankind chiefly thought mythologically and theologically about such matters as human nature good and evil, the origins of consciousness and so on. The symbolic truth of creation myths, however, is that they are the expressions of the birth of consciousness rather than accounts of the origins of the world, despite the intentions of the authors. Mankind possessed no theory of evolution up to very recently and therefore did not believe that human nature evolved from animals. The Hindu scriptures do, however, have references to a type of evolution and did conceive the age of the earth in billions of years, by far the most accurate intuition of the ancients. Although this knowledge was, then, largely unavailable to the ancients, the myths and narratives of early civilizations contain deep meta-psychological truth in symbolic form. The Chinese, Hindu and Egyptians had a vision of the opposites that underlie mankind's struggle and posited them as universal principles, as this narrative does. For example, the Chinese opposites of yin, the supple, and yang, the strong, symbolise interconnected forces that underpin the universe, the human body and mind. All further opposites, male and female, darkness and light, hot and cold, water and fire, earth and air, are their developments. Far from being antagonistic opposites, they are an interconnected dynamic whole and form the ancient Chinese basis for understanding the world and human nature. Less well known is that the ancient Egyptians also held the dual principles of creation versus destruction, as well as order versus chaos, of equal importance in their mythology. Judaic civilization is heavily influenced by the Egyptian. The sun god, the symbol of consciousness itself, is raised in Egyptian mythology by superhuman effort out of the waters of chaos, that is, out of the unconscious. Thus the constructive creative principle, Mart, is the basis of civilization, which struggles with the destructive forces against it, not only from nature, but from the darkness and violence within mankind. The scarab, or dung beetle, was venerated by the ancient Egyptians, 
It puts its eggs in dung and rolls it to a hole in the ground where they are later to hatch. The image of the beetle rolling the ball was likened to the sun god rolling the sun. The earth became the underworld, the nightly journey of the sun god, and the new life from under the earth was the rising sun. Such images, as it were, life out of dung and consciousness out of dross, prefigure similar alchemical themes of the transformation of lead into gold. The connection to the life principle of sun, light, higher consciousness and our transcendent being is necessary to combat the darkness within ourselves. By 5,000 years ago, the Neolithic revolution in agriculture had produced large concentrated human populations, especially along subtropical river basins. Order now meant the establishment of society, law and regulation, requiring clear and firm leadership and control. Order and civilization were synonymous. Evidently, it needed not only reason to establish it, but higher forces to give it sufficient authority. The pharaohs were divine. The Egyptian conception of time was at two levels. Firstly, that of the gods, who existed, strangely enough, in linear time, with narratives concerning their struggles, which constituted the archetypal principles that governed human existence and consciousness. These are the stories, for example, of Osiris and Isis, Seth and Horus. Secondly, the time of mankind, which was circular, where as a result of the God's struggles, the cycles of our existence, its daily round, was created. This cycle was not meant to last forever, but like the finale to Wagner's opera, The Ring of the Nibelung, one day ends and conditions return to their beginning in the primal waters of the unconscious. Thus, one of the earliest and long-lasting civilizations, the Egyptian, intuited not only the origins of mankind, but also its possible end. Such a battle between opposites is of both collective and personal significance, and is dramatically represented by the sun itself on its daily and nightly cycles. For the Egyptians, Ra, the sun god of consciousness, rules the day, but each night is devoured by the forces of darkness. Ra's reign is not secure, for each night he crosses on a bark over the waters, fights with the serpent of chaos, Apep, and requires the help of Osiris, the principle of rebirth and renewal, so as to emerge the next day. This battle between the forces of light and darkness symbolises the inner state of mankind, the nature of our psyche. The forces of order, the creative principles that have fashioned the existence of not only life, but the human psyche, are threatened by chaos and destructiveness. The negative forces within our species mirror our creative potential because human consciousness is a magnified arena for these opposites to be acted out. What in an animal is bonding or aggression? May humans be love or hatred? What in an animal is a predatory instinct? May in humans be intense brutality or psychopathy? The human being, considerably more complicated than any animal, has so much more that can go wrong in character formation. 
Human beings from the start of life, especially in the womb and birth experience, are extremely vulnerable, both physically and emotionally. Due to its early sensitivity, the psyche easily suffers intense insecurity, with serious later consequences. Some of the recent 20th century examples of collective psychopathic brutality, such as Nazism, show such dark negativity in our species that despair in our collective future seems an obvious conclusion. However, Egyptian mythology indicates that a battle between the light and dark sides of our nature has been part of the human experience since the beginning and that the forces of rebirth may prevail. The sun sets dark beyond the Nile. The light of day grows dim, and from the shadows of the mind, fear grips the soul within. O row your bark through gloom of night, death's dark and dangerous gates. The sun god dies to be reborn, a glorious morn awaits. (laughs) 